Well, it is great to see all of y'all today. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. Glad you're part of everything. Now, normally this service is packed, and I have a feeling that some people decided to sleep a little bit later today. Next few empty seats, so I have a feeling that 11 o'clock is going to be a little crowded today. We'll see. But you're the brave ones who love Jesus enough to get up early in the morning. <laughs> Come do this. We're in a series that started last week. It's entitled uh, Believe. It's going to go through Easter. And uh, it's based on John chapter 20. We're going to work our way through John chapter 20. It ends, it ends with John writing, these things I've written to you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, believing, you can have life in his name. He said, I wrote this so you can believe. And you can have life. That's a beautiful thing when you think about it. Someone cared enough about us to write a book. You and I could have life. We could believe, just like he did. We started last week um, with a message entitled, Empty. Because John chapter 20 starts off with the empty tomb of Jesus. And one of the things that, that I share with you in, in that message, uh, that if you're a follower of Christ, this is, you know, this is not for people who aren't followers, just for people who are followers, that you know, there was a time, there was a tomb that had the body of Jesus and didn't did, did it, did not, and it's empty. And you and I got to explain that empty tomb. People who weren't followers of Jesus, they don't have to explain the empty tomb. We've got to explain the empty tomb. And when we looked at that, really, there's only two possibilities that make any sense at all. Either one, someone took the body of Jesus, or two, because he was raised back to life, Jesus walked out of that place on his own power. And we looked for those first 10 verses at the evidence that those, the evidence we saw from those first 10 verses pointed to the fact that Jesus was raised back to life. But the real evidence, the real thing you need, if you want to believe that Jesus came back to life, is that you need people seeing Jesus. And so out of the next four weeks, three of those weeks, we're going to look at people who saw Jesus alive. And so today we come to the message entitled Alive from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And uh, in, in the passage today, what we're going to look at, here's kind of what I want you to see from it. It's not real complicated, but it's simply this. The reason for the empty tomb was that Jesus was alive, and then people began to see him. He was alive, and then on top of that, People began to see Jesus again. So we come uh, today, and I'm going to kind of start off this way, that there was a time when uh, people saw Jesus dead. <laughs> and then those same people, they saw him alive. And it all started with Mary. Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, but Mary of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. It started with her. Last week, uh, we saw that the empty tomb story begins with a group of women. All four Gospels say that it was women who went to the empty tomb, tomb first. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It wasn't those guys. They went to a tomb expecting to find Jesus, and he wasn't there. And the leader of that, that group was Mary. And so we, we, pick up, uh, we pick it up. Mary had went to tell Peter and John and the guys. Peter and John came, saw the tomb was empty. They left. Mary comes back. Chapter uh, 20, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. So she's outside now. She's looking into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. So here, here's the picture. Mary left. Mary came back. Tomb still empty. And she begins to cry. And we, we can understand why she would begin to cry. Because she loved Jesus. And she saw him crucified. Mary was there when he was crucified. She saw him. She saw him buried. She saw where they placed him. And she just wanted to come 
She wanted to come and anoint the body of Jesus, but mostly she wanted to come and, and, and know he was there, and he wasn't, and she came back, and she's just crying because he's not there. Now, we're told there were two angels there. All four of the Gospels tell us about angels being there. And uh, it, this, the, the purpose of this isn't to build, you know, a doctrine and theology of angels. And, it, and it's kind of interesting because Luke and John say they were two. Matthew and Mark say they were one. Um, and some people think, well, the discrepancies kind of show that, you know, these aren't real stories. But actually, they add authenticity to the story. I mean, they really do. Think about it. If, if a handful of us went outside, we saw a wreck, we would all describe it differently, you know. This morning, there's going to be, you know, hundreds of people come to the four worship services, and, and each of you are going to hear the same message, and every one of you will take it differently. Every one of you will see it kind of different. Now, hopefully, most of you will say, well, that's a pretty good message. I like it. A few of you may say, well, I didn't like it at all, and, and we don't care. Okay, we care. We do care. We care more than you realize. So here's the thing. We all see things differently. So you have, you have Matthew and Mark basically they're talking about the guy who... who who spoke. They're not caring about the one who didn't speak, so there was one angel he spoke. You know, some of them describe him as, a man, as men, and some are the angels, depending on their perspective, but when you look in, you know, you're just going to see, you know, they were in white, but they're not going to be all, but, you know, everybody kind of wore white back then, so, you know, I mean, they're going to look like two guys. And some were outside, or some were inside. Matthew, Mark, and Luke said, you know, one of them said, uh, you know, why do you seek to live in among the dead? He is risen, just like he said, but that's not what happens here. So here's, here's Mary. She sees these two guys, but she's just crying, and she's weeping. Now, remember this about Mary. I shared with you last week about this. Some people say, you know, she was the prostitute, didn't know the feet of Jesus. We don't have any evidence for that. But she was a woman who loved Jesus. I mean, she had been an outcast. I shared that with you last week. She had been possessed by seven demons. And Luke 8 says that Jesus cast those demons away. Now, you, you, back then... I mean, first of all, she was a woman, so she had no legal standing. I shared that with you last week in, in some depth but, depth. but she was an outcast because with demons in her or, or, or what she was facing, she would always be considered an outcast. Because no matter what happened, if you were healed or cured or not, the belief was you had sinned so bad against God. You had done something so egregious that God had to punish you so severely that way. So she would always be looked at as some type of sinner. She would always be considered an outcast. And she was looking at a life of no hope. I mean, there was no hope for her. She wasn't going to get healed. No one was going to come around and give her some prescriptions, some drugs that make everything go away. She was going to suffer the rest of her life as an outcast, tormented by what she was facing until Jesus came along. And Jesus loved her. And he healed her. And he changed her life. And we're told she began to follow Jesus. And back then, when you followed someone, they followed Jesus. They went wherever Jesus went. She was one of the ones that kind of helped support the ministry. Maybe she had some means. But she, from that moment, she was with Jesus. Now, we always think about the, you know, the apostles went with him and traveled. But there was a larger group of people that traveled, included women. So she, when he left Galilee and went to Jerusalem, she went. When she went, left Jerusalem and went back to Galilee, she went. I mean, she was always there with Jesus all the time. And when Jesus was crucified, she was there at the cross. She was watching it. She saw when they took him down. She saw when they took him and buried him. And this was, this was, her, this was her life with Jesus. He changed her. And she loved him. And she's looking at life wondering what's going to happen. Because she was counting on him being the Messiah. And in that day and age, everybody thought the Messiah, including the apostles, they thought the Messiah was going to come. And they was going to go into Jerusalem, expel all the Romans, and establish Jerusalem and establish the Jewish people forever. 
they were all looking forward to Jesus doing that. Even right up until the time of his ascension, the apostles still thought that. She's looking in the tomb. The man who had changed her life, looking for him, and he's not there. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know what's going to happen to her. She's crying because the guy that changed her life is dead and gone. Verse 13. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you weeping, son? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. I don't know where Jesus is anymore. You notice, she wasn't expecting a resurrection, was she? She wasn't expecting him to be raised back to life. She knew the disciples didn't have the body. Someone just took it. And she no longer knew where Jesus was. Verse 14 She had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, the picture you need to have is that Mary's in the tomb and she's focused on the empty tomb. She's looking because there's no Jesus. And then these two guys are there. They're angels. She doesn't know they're angels. These two guys are there. And for most of what's going to happen these next couple of verses, she's staring at the tomb. You know, when something is that important, you just stare and you stare and and nothing else really gets in your way. She sees or feels or experiences or maybe the angels look up and there's someone behind her. She just turns and sees someone. And then she's going to turn back. She didn't know it was Jesus. Now, there's, there's all sorts of explanations for this, and some of them are, you know, real doctrinal, theological reasons, and I get that. That's all important. Sometimes it's just the simplest things. I mean, some people say, well, he was in his resurrected body, so she didn't recognize the resurrected Jesus, just like in Luke on the guys on the road to Emmaus didn't. Maybe, but there are times when Jesus in his resurrected body was recognized right off the bat. They saw as Jesus. Maybe just the best explanation is she wasn't expecting to see Jesus. She was crying and weeping. I mean, have you ever wept so much? Just nothing makes sense. And so she turned. There's this guy there. And she turns back the other way. So Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Who are you looking for, Mary? And supposing him to be the gardener, because this was the tomb area of a bunch of wealthy people, so they would have someone kind of take that over there and oversee everything. She says, sir. If you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Just tell me where you put Jesus. I'll go get his body. I'll bring him back. I just want to know that Jesus is here. He may be dead, but I want to know he is here. You know, I think that there is some comfort in knowing what the people you love and care for, where they are, you know. I mean, I, you know, people, a lot of people do cremation, some do burial, you know, I, I did a burial of Debbie. Um, but I think you, you kind of like to know. I like, I like knowing that my wife is back home, you know, in the San Antonio area and, and in a plot there. And, and uh, you know, one day I'll be there too somewhere, somehow. You know, it's, it's, she just, she's just that way. It's, just, it's a human story, man. She just wants to know where Jesus is. She just wants to make sure that this guy that she has followed, she loves, she cares about, she just wants to know where he is. And she's looking at the tip. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. How many times has he said Mary since he healed her? 
I mean, all the times that they traveled and all the times that they talked, how many times has he just said, Mary? And she turned and she said to him in Hebrew, because Sean's writing in Greek, but he wants the full effect to come, Hebrew. She said, Rabboni, which is an exalted form of the term rabbi, which means you're the teacher. You know, when she pictured this, she's looking into the tomb, and she hears her name, and she turns, and she sees Jesus, and she falls down at the feet of Jesus, and she's going to grab him, and she's going to hold on, because she don't want Jesus getting away. She thought he was dead. She thought someone took his body. And he's standing before her, and she never expected that. That was the last thing on her mind, was that Jesus would be there with her. And he calls her name. She sees the teacher. Let me come to verse 17. I'm going to break this verse into two parts. It starts off this way. Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary, Mary, you can't hold on forever. He gives three commands in verse 17. They're very soft, loving commands. The first is this, stop clinging, stop holding on. Now, the King James, you know, it says, touch me not. And that sounds so kind of harsh. And it's not meant to be, I don't think. But remember, the King James was written 400 years ago. I mean, the, the language changes some. The way we use words changes. This is not a harsh term. It's just, Mary, you, you, you can't keep holding on. Some people think that she couldn't hold on to him because this is a resurrected body. But she's obviously holding on to him. You know? So she can't hold on to him. And, you know, there's all sorts of reasons and explanations. He talks about the ascension. In, in, in our world, in the world of following Christ, there are several key events of Jesus' life. One was his incarnation when he came. Second is the death and then resurrection. That's the second. We know that there's a second coming of Christ. That's the fourth. But in between the resurrection and the second coming, there's the ascension. There's him going back to heaven. Acts chapter 1. We'll see that actually this summer. I do a series on Acts. And so he says, Mary, I haven't ascended. Now, this is important because between the time of the resurrection and the time of the ascension, things change. Things aren't the way they used to be. Beforehand, Jesus traveled with them. He was their companion. They went together. Now he doesn't. Now he comes and goes. The way he interacts with them, all that's changing. So he's saying, Mary, things aren't the way they used to be. You can't just hold on to me. You're not going to get to go with me anymore. Things have changed, Mary, and your life's about to change. And I know it's real tempting when we think about Jesus and just in our relationship, we want to spend most of our time just thinking, praising, worshiping, learning about Jesus. And I get that. I mean, now, I was saved. I mean, I grew up in the church. I was saved when I was nine. For me, it's different. A lot of you got saved later in life. A lot of you lived lives that were really, really kind of messed up. You can identify with Mary. Not that you were possessed by demons, but you had so much struggle in your life. And Jesus just changed that. And you just, if you want to know everything you can about Jesus, you want to grow in your faith, you love him. And loving Jesus is so important. But I need to share something with you, and this is really important. You need to, need to kind of get this. For the follower of Jesus, loving Jesus is not the end of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. 
There's more to our journey than just loving Jesus. He calls us. He doesn't just call us to follow him in salvation. He calls us to follow him in life. And he's got something for her to do. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Now understand, before the cross, Jesus talked a lot about loving people. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've got to love your enemies. You've got to love your neighbors. You've got to love everybody. You know, in, in, in the, week of the, de- week of the de- of his death, the week of the cross event, they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment of all is. And, she, and this is the last question they asked him because he answered it so perfectly, they said, we're through. He said, love God. You know, and by the way, just love other people as much as you love yourself. <laughs> and that was such an impressive answer. One of the, the Pharisees there said, the scribe said, yeah, Jesus, that's about as good of an answer you're ever going to give. That's right. That's right. In the upper room, after Judas had went to betray him, he's just got those 11 guys that are going to change the world with him. He said, guys, here's what I need you to do. I need you to know I'm going to give you a new commandment. You're going to love one another. And then this is how the whole world will know that you follow me, that you're my disciples, because you're going to love one another. And you're going to love them. You're going to love people. Now, the idea of love is not the world's view of love. Don't let the world, I did this whole series back, you know, in January. Don't let the world, the culture, co-op our terms. Love is that giving of self. He didn't say, oh, by the way, this is how you'll know my disciples, when you accept everybody in the way they are. He didn't say that. He said you love people. You love people. You can't, listen, you can't accept the way everybody lives. I mean, people are sinful and they're in rebellion against God. You can't accept that and say, oh, that's okay. But what you can do is you can love them. But after the resurrection, he didn't talk about love. And Matthew, he goes up to Galilee and he says to them, here's what I want you to do, guys. Make disciples. Here's your task. You make disciples. He's already covered love. Love's been covered. Got that. Now make disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, right before he ascends into heaven, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start in Jerusalem. You go to Judea and Samaria. You know, the rest of the world and the entire book of Acts is the fulfillment of Acts 1-8. Well, things change. But in changing, he's always got a task for us. And so we come to the rest of verse 17. Two more commands he gives to Mary. But go to my brothers and say, those are commands, say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. He says, you're going to go to the apostles, the disciples, the guys who aren't here. (laughs) They're not here. You're here. So guess what, Mary? Since you're here and they're not, you're going to go to them. And you're going to tell them, I'm going to ascend. In other words, the ascension is coming, and I'm going to go to them. My Father and my God, your Father and your God. Now, the term Father and God speaks both of the closeness of God, his eminence, his Father, and of the distance. He is God. There is a transcendence. It also speaks to the fact that Jesus didn't say our Father and our God. He, the, he is relationship to the Father and to God, to God the Father, is different than the relationship of our way to God the Father. But it's still a relationship. There's still unity and distinction. But the cool thing is, he's saying, Mary, you're, you're going to go. The men aren't here, Mary, but, but you are. You know, it's interesting how often in, in our life, in my, in my ministry, in my life, I've heard people talking, you know, gather men together. You know, we're going to get the men together. And we talk about this in lunch. You know, women, when y'all go to a conference, man, it's so cool. Y'all get gifts. The gifts all smell nice. 
Well, you get things that are flowery scented, and you get stuff to write with, and you get little things that touch you, like little bookmarks to talk about your heart and your joy and your love, and you go to the conference, and you all feel great, and you come out, and you're hugging and crying. Oh, this is fantastic. When guys go to a conference, here's what they do. They beat us up. <laughs> you're worthless as husbands. You're useless as fathers. I mean, we cry too. Because they're ripping us so bad. You think I'm kidding? This is the reason men don't go to conference. I don't go to any conference. I don't want to get beat up. <laughs> and I've heard this all my life. Men, if we don't rise up and be leaders in the church, the church won't grow and Jesus' message will not be shared. And I've always thought, well, that's dumb. That's not true. That's garbage. Sometimes I think worse than that. That's just garbage, man. That's historically not true. And I know why we get it. I mean, you know, you look in the New Testament and all the, you know, the pastors, men, okay. Deacons, men, okay. See where that gets us, right? Elders, men, okay. Do they ever not read all of the New Testament? I mean, Acts 16, Paul has gone back on his second great expedition journey. He's gone back to Asia Minor where he started all. And there the Holy Spirit says, hey, Paul, I want you to go to Europe. You're going you're to go to Macedonia. He has this vision of this man calling him to, to Macedonia, to Europe. So he goes, and he gets to Philippi. And, you know, he's going to go look for the synagogue where the Jewish men are. Only there's not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue, so he doesn't go there. Instead, he goes where he thinks he'll find them. He goes down by the river. He didn't find any Jewish men. He just finds a group of women led by a woman named Lydia. So Paul decides, well, there are no men here. I can't do anything with that. So he just leaves and he goes back to Asia Minor, right? That's how the story ends. No. He takes the women led by Lydia and he starts his first church in Europe at the home of a woman. That's how it all begins. No men. Just Lydia. And you read, and I, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I preached a series based around a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Man, Aquila, wife, Priscilla. Great couple. But most of the time, she's listed first. It's Priscilla and Aquila. And if you know anything about the Greek language, normally that indicates that she was the more prominent person. And Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, they were involved in starting churches with Paul. They were in Corinth and Ephesus, you know, and then there was this unbelievably talented guy who was raw in his theology named Apollos. And so it says that Priscilla and her husband discipled him. Now, Paul's a guy, you know, and we all quote Paul said, you know, women can't teach men over in 1 Timothy. And there was a reason he would put it in 1 Timothy. We just assume it's carte blanche, and yet here's a woman teaching a man. Go figure. And then in Romans... <laughs> he tells them at the end, I'm sending Phoebe to you. She is a diaconon. She is the same as a deacon in terms of her service and what she does. You treat her well. I mean, the idea that women or anybody is not useful to God, it's just not, it's not just foreign in the New Testament. It's amazing what Jesus can do. Jesus took an outcast, Mary. She was an outcast in her own religion. She had no place in the Jewish religion. He said, hey, Mary, I don't see any men here. Would you go tell the men to meet me? 
so we can get this thing started. Jesus will use each and every one of us in exactly the way he wants if we just follow him. If we just follow him. And it's really simple. Jesus calls us. He calls us to follow him to be saved. And he calls us and says, come here. I want to use you. And when he calls us, it's not just in some general term. It's in a personal way. He always does that. Listen, you've heard people say, well, you know, it's not personal. It's business. Let me tell you this. With Jesus, it's always personal. With Jesus, your relationship with him, my relationship with him is always, always personal. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came. Announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And it's not in there, but you can rest assured she probably thought, and you have not. <laughs> can you imagine being the first person to ever see Jesus alive? Man, it's got to be just a little pride. Just, no, okay. Maybe that's why a woman did it instead of a man, because a man would be bragging, oh, I saw Jesus and you guys did. I don't And that he had said these things to her. That's what, that's what happened. She went to them and said, I saw Jesus. And this is so cool when you think about it. I did not, when I did this series, I developed this series way back last spring. I did not realize, I, I didn't realize it till the day. I guess March is now Women's History Month. Women, you get the whole month of March to yourself. Got that? Okay. There's no months for David, by the way. I checked. I got, there's no month that says this is David's month. So I'm thinking about making July my month. I don't know. I have to pick a month. But anyways. So this one's for you. This is gratuitous. This is for you. The first person the resurrected Jesus appeared to and called was Mary. That's the very first person. was a woman. The very first person was a woman. You know what mattered to Jesus? Mary, the person, mattered. Jesus doesn't look to see if we're male or female. He doesn't look to see if we're Jewish or Gentile, slave or free. He just sees people. And people matter. I mean, Mary, the person, mattered. Her task mattered. What he gave her to do was so important. Whatever Jesus gives us to do, everything about you is important to him. You realize at our church how important everybody is here? I mean, I, since we've moved to this location, probably 75% of the people that come here, 80% are all fairly new since we started coming here. I mean, and, and a lot of you, you were guests. And you, know, you realize when a, guest, when a guest drives up into our church, the first person, the people that they interact with is out in the parking lot. It's the parking lot. Think about that for a moment. That's the first people they see. Guys, we need to upgrade that parking team at some point. Nothing personal. See some parking, guys. You're doing great. We just want to add some people to you to help you out. Then they come through the door, and there are ushers. I mean, I mean, there are greeters there. Then they probably come to the Welcome Center. That's the third time. If they have kids to go to Wombaland and Upstreet, then they come back in here, and there's ushers meeting them, and they finally eventually get seated, and they hear music. And so long before I ever talk, they've probably had about six encounters with people, and they've already made their mind up if they're coming back or not. All of you have determined whether they're going to come back, not me. I mean, if they're saying, I don't want to go back to this place, I'm going to sit and suffer through this, I ain't changing the mind. In fact, the, the only thing I can really do is take someone who thinks that they're going to come back and mess that up. <laughs> All of you are so important in so many ways. But you realize there are people you know that none of us, rest of us know. There are people you know that need Jesus. There are people you know that you can change their life because of Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus came, Jesus changed everything. Because people 
matter to him. They begin to realize they matter to him. In the Jewish system, they didn't matter. The law mattered. Rules mattered. People didn't matter until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, all of us began to matter. See, at some point, we need to realize that people still matter to God. And because they matter, they need Jesus. They need the Jesus who is alive. They need him. You need him. And you know people that matter to God who need Jesus. And they need you to love them. And they need you to care about them. And they need you to share Jesus with them. Oh, yeah. Jesus being alive matters. Because the resurrection matters. Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. And there were some people who saw Jesus dead. And then they saw him alive. And it began with Mary. And they began to write down and tell us the story of how they saw Jesus and they believed. Do you believe? Do you believe what they tell us about seeing Jesus alive after they had seen him dead? Do you trust him with everything you have in your life? And if you do, then don't you feel called just a little bit to go help other people somehow experience Jesus? I mean, if you matter to Jesus so much that he saved you, isn't it possible that they matter to Jesus so much that he will save them? So when are you going to go and tell them he's alive? Just a moment, some of us will be standing here. And if you need to come and give your life to Christ, you can do that. If you want to come and pray with someone, you can do that too, or join the church, whatever. But we invite you to come up here and, and, and experience in some capacity with another person that love, to experience that sense of calling. But mostly what I invite you to do is this. Be sure when you leave this place today, be sure you believe because Jesus is alive. And so, Lord, we come to praise you. We come to honor you and to worship you. God, we also come to believe because we need to believe. We need to understand that Jesus was dead and people saw him dead. And then he was alive. And those same people saw him alive. So let us trust the Jesus who lives to know that our lives matter so much that he came to die and to live. And because we believe, Father, we'll have life, life in his name. Amen. Would you stand? You come.